0: I'm going to share with you today a simple method to pray your loved ones into heaven. It's a daunting task when we have such a big heart for the people we love, our friends, our family, everyone close to us, to see them come to heaven with us, to spend eternity with us in the everlasting. And it's on all of our hearts to see everyone, but especially the ones we love that we're connected to, to see them be born again. Uh, it's a daunting task because you know usually if they're not accepted Christ and you start to try to minister to them, well you're close to them. So the people sometimes that you're closest to are the hardest for you to reach. It might be because they know you, they know your past, they know your quirks, they know your good and the bad. It might be that they're just not ready, and you're the one that keeps pestering them, trying to get them saved and. It's always much easier to go out to uh, hand out tracts for salvation to strangers and to share with strangers than it is with people who you know and you know maybe they've heard your message a thousand times and they're just resisting it and they don't have a problem with you it's just they have a problem with God or they're not ready yet and everyone has a time and God knows that time and you know I know when I first was excited about seeing my family saved I would harass my family my older sisters especially and try to get them to come to church. I try to trick them to come to church, manipulate them. Because in my mind, if I can just get them to come to church, surely they'll accept Christ. And and I worked a few times to get them to come to church, but they just resisted salvation. And I would harass them so much that they would start to resist me, like avoid me. And the Lord talked to me one day and said, why are you so persistent in talking to your sisters about Jesus? I said, God, it's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to lead them to Christ. and, And they're not coming, but I'm going to get them. And the Lord said, no, no, it's not because it's your job. And he talked to me. He told me it was because I was afraid. I was afraid they would die and go to hell. And I didn't believe in the power of prayer. And that's the real heart of my problem then, was I didn't understand and didn't believe in the power of prayer. So I took it into my own hands to make sure my sisters would be born again. And I was doing a better job of chasing them away from God than I was to bringing them to Christ. And the Lord taught me to pray for them because they could stop me from talking to them and witnessing to them, but they could not stop me from loving them and praying for them. And it was when I began to put my trust in the prayer and in the power of prayer and the power of spiritual authority that I was free to love my sisters and my family members who weren't born again. And I began to learn to appreciate their value as humans. I appreciate them. They're good people. They, love, they loved people. They just weren't ready for God. So when I quit becoming the preacher and just became the brother who loved them, my voice of preaching went from talking to example, that they were supposed to look at my life as my preaching and not my mouth and my words. and if I were to tell anyone about senior unsaved loved ones born again, that would be the first thing was quit talking about Christ and live like Christ and let God do the talking for you. And so even for my family, my sisters, when I quit preaching and just begin to love them, and live holy with them, and quit judging them for not coming to church, and making them feel guilty for not yet hungering for God. And I just loved on them, but I prayed for them. And and listen, they became miserable because my prayer would stop them from having fun. Where all the friends would be having fun, uh, they wouldn't be having fun, because there's four angels uh, positioned around them, setting up a place for them to be born again. And thank God that they found Christ. And thank God that they eventually, in their time, in the time that they were ready, they found Jesus. And I've learned so much about not being anxious in my family members, but to let God do the work. Because God has a plan to see everyone saved, but what He's lacking is the authority to come and do it. And that's where you come in, in the most valuable place in your family member and your loved one's life is you may not have the voice for them to be saved. But let's be clear, you have the authority that God needs to do what He needs. He knows exactly what it takes to get someone saved. And it may not be as simple as taking them to church, which I found with my sisters. It wasn't as simple as presenting the gospel to them. But they had to come to a place where they were ready to accept Christ and ready to step into that. And so... God knows the many details and the many twists and turns that was necessary for my family to be saved. And He knows the same for your loved ones. How to get them saved. Because you're dealing with someone's free will and free choice. And so you cannot make them accept Christ. You cannot make them accept holiness. You cannot make them do anything. And God won't make them either. And so to get them from where they are in their understanding, to where they're hungry for God or searching for truth. That's something God can do, but He needs our help, and our help is in authority. I'm going to read a few verses here. Uh, Let's look over here in John, John chapter 4. And by the end of this session, I'm going to share with you the simple prayer you can pray where you give God the authority that's the power the power of prayer is not saying all the right words it's not being eloquent and knowing how to change you know say the the fancy words. some guys praying they're great at praying and i'm jealous my prayers for god are always simple uh, because mostly what he needs in your family situation is not for you to educate god on what they need he knows exactly what they need he just needs you to lend authority and that's done without having to be elaborate in your prayers. And so, we're going to read here out of the book of John, chapter 4. We'll start in verse 11. And we're going to paint a picture of God's heart. Because when when we understand God's heart, we begin to see that He loves your loved ones more than you do. He desires for them to be saved more than you do. But He also knows how to get that, them to that place And understand this, there's no one who can run from God. There's no one. I don't care how bad off they are or how their lifestyle is. They cannot run from God. God's too smart for them. He knows how to walk them into places and and encourage them to leave places. He knows how to whisper the right things in their ear and to send the right people into their life. All that God lacks in our loved one's life is the authority. The authority to do what he knows to do already. So your loved one, I don't care how bad off they may seem, how much they may have said, I don't want God, get out of my, out of my way, get out of my life. They're not too smart for God. And we're going to end this session with a prayer, a simple prayer, where you can lend your authority to God and then begin to watch him do all the work. That frees you to enjoy your family. I learned with my sisters that when I was not preaching to them, but loving on them, that I could go to their party and sit there while they drank and play cards with them and enjoy them and conversate with them about life and everything else because I no longer had to be the preacher to bring them to Christ. I freed myself of that burden of being the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit do His job. And I became their brother and their family member and their loved one who loved them and appreciated them for who they were. And in that, there was so much healing in my life in in our family because their avenue to God was now in God's hands, not in my hands. And they could feel it. I could feel the difference when I started to trust prayer, started to trust God instead of trying my own way to push things through. And many of us, we have that problem because we don't trust God. We don't trust the power of prayer. So we try to push things through. And there's a patience when you're dealing with other people's will. When you're dealing with other people's decision making, you cannot make them do it. Then then you have to wait until God's able to work with them until they themselves are ready. And God knows how to get them there. Let's start in John chapter 4. Let's start in verse 4. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called uh, Sikar, near the plot of ground where Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, set thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you being a Jew ask a drink for me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. And we know he was talking about salvation here. Because salvation was through the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. Now we know this story. Um, The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, to her you have said well i have no husband for you have had 5 husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband <laughs> in that you spoke truly the woman said to her sir i perceive that you are a prophet our fathers worshipped on this mountain and you jews say that in jerusalem is the place you ought to worship jesus said to her woman believe me the hour is coming when you'll neither on this mountain nor in jerusalem worship the father You worship what you do not know. We worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth and the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Again, talking about salvation that was able to come to her after Jesus was glorified. Then the woman said to him, verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point the disciples came and marveled that he talked to a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman that left her water pot went her way into the city and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out to the city and came to him. And in the meantime, the disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to him, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. So they're wondering who brought him food if he's not eating. And Jesus said, The food that I eat is to do the will of the Father. That is the food that I eat. Verse 35. Do you not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages, and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I send you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans, verse 39, of the city believed in him because the word of the woman who testified. So this whole group here, they came out of the city. Look in verse 39, the woman says, or verse 29, the woman says, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of the city and came to him. Jesus tells the disciples, look up and see the harvest. See the fields. It's white unto harvest. And so the fields that he was telling the disciples to look at were the people. The people are the heart of God. And God's heart for every person is to see them saved. To see them become children of God. That's been his plan, and that's been his heart. And he tells the disciples to look up. The fields are ready. The fields are are white unto harvest. This is what we are here for, to see the world come to Christ. And I want you to know that, because you should have no doubt that God loves your family, your loved ones, more than you do. And have no doubt that God knows exactly how to get your family member, your loved one, from where they are to where they need to be to find and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And in accepting that, you also accept that you don't have the smarts or the power or the job to see them saved. That is God's job, God's ability, God's purpose, the job of the Holy Spirit. Your job is simply to love them and to lend your authority for them. My sisters, when I quit pestering them and harassing them to be born again, I became a prayer, and I would pray for them. And as I prayed for them, I was lending my authority to God. And you may wonder, well, I don't understand why we have to lend our authority to God. Well, it's pretty simple that God is a respecter of your will, and that... In his integrity as God, he will not override your free will and cannot override your free will. So in essence, every person has a right to do whatever they want in this life. And so God, he already knows how to fix every part of our life. That's the reason we pray and ask him. It's not to beg him. It's not because he's ignoring what we're going through that we ask him. We ask him to answer our prayers because that is us giving him permission and authority to step into our life and to help rescue us and to help fix us that's why praying in tongues is so important because when you pray in tongues the fact that you said it means that you're lending your authority to that prayer so god god knows that you have asked him to answer a prayer and he is not overriding your free will otherwise every person would be saved instantly because god would just override all of us and make us robots But he did not make us robots. He made us individuals with the right to choose and make choices, including your loved ones. And so there's no one who's too hard for God. There's no one who's too far gone for God. I honestly believe that if I'm praying for someone to be born again, as long as I'm praying for them, that they cannot die until they accept Christ. And I've had many people who, been praying for loved ones, even those on their deathbed, and they've accepted Christ at the last moment. And I have a people who've been on their deathbed and resurrect, and the only reason they resurrected was because they weren't saved yet. God's more interested in your loved ones being in heaven than, than you are. And so when we lend God our authority, we are saying from this earth, God, rescue this person. And God uses our authority to go and meddle with their life. My sisters, at that point in their life, never cried out to God, weren't interested in God. But the problem was, they had a little brother who would cry out to God and pray and believe God. And so, because I was saying their names and praying for them, God would use my authority to go and touch their lives. And they weren't crying out for God, so he was limited to what he can do in their life. but I was praying and because and who better to pray for your loved ones than you now there is intercession that goes on all around the world for different areas and different people, and God uses every bit of intercession and every bit of authority he can to rescue people. but who better to put on the heart to pray for loved ones than you because you're you're compassionate. And you desire to see them saved more than anything. But you're limited because you don't have the smarts and the ability to get them there. And so that's why we sometimes turn into manipulation, trying to trick them to find God. And that's why many times many of our attempts to get them to find God failed along the way. But God's smarter than your loved one. and He's smarter than you, and he's smarter than me, and he's smarter than the devil. And he knows how to get them there. He just needs our help with authority. I'm going to read out of Matthew chapter 9. And uh, let's just read in verse 35. We'll start there. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then He said to His disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into His harvest. Now see, why would Jesus tell us to pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest? Why do we have to pray? Why doesn't He just do it? Well, it's because he needs authority on this earth to do things in people's lives. That's the power of prayer. The power of praying for your loved ones is that you're lending, you are actually lending authority on this earth for God to come with all of heaven and all the smarts of heaven and all the power of heaven to come into a situation and to do what he loves best, which is to see people get born again into the kingdom of God. I mean, that's why the angels celebrate when someone gets saved. Because they're actually birthed into the kingdom of God. That's the greatest and the happiest heaven is, is when someone gets saved. And so, why do we need to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest? The reason we pray is to give God the authority to do what He knows to do in our loved one's life. I had... Um, pastor when i was young in the lord and a church that in tennessee that that i was a part of and every sunday he would without fail tell the congregation okay everyone we're going to pray for our lost loved ones and he would lead us through a prayer every sunday it was just a simple prayer and i'm repeating what he did with you today because it, it really was powerful and it impacted me and we would say a simple prayer and in that prayer, we would call out the names of our unsaved loved ones. And then we would pray for God to send people into their life. And see, one of the things I had to get free from was that I had to be the preacher to preach the gospel to my loved ones. And again, sometimes you're the worst preacher to preach the gospel. Not because you're, you're doing something wrong, but maybe just because you're familiar or it's so too personal or it feels like you're pushing them. Who knows? But there's other people who are better preachers. And God will send them into the life of your family members. And your family members may not realize it, but the friends that move next door may be sent there by God because you prayed and God is able to move someone in next door who's just like them, who loves the things that they love and knows the language they speak as far as what they love. But that one person's born again and maybe the voice that God uses to nudge them towards Christ. And who knows how much nudging it takes, but God knows and He knows how to nudge people and, and bring them to a place to where they will humble themselves and ask Jesus into their heart. And if you're praying for someone to be saved, you have to let go of time. You have to say, I know that you want them in church with you. You want them serving God with you now. <laughs> Right now. But that doesn't always work like that. Sometimes it can happen right now. Sometimes they're tough and, or broken that much. that It may not be until their last breath that they accept Christ. But the promise you hold on to is that my household will be saved. My loved ones will be saved. And as I'm praying for them, they cannot die if they're going to go to hell. They cannot die. But the goal of God and you is to see them born again and go into heaven. Which means you let go of time and say, God, if they get saved tomorrow, I will celebrate. But if it's not until 30 years from now, their last breath, that they get saved, that's between them and you, God. But I know that they'll be in heaven with me for eternity. And you have to let go and let God have that that right to work with them, even if it's until their last breath they'll be in eternity with you. And the eternity is forever. This life is but a vapor. It's quick. A billion years from now, this life will seem like nothing. But yet it is the seed to eternity for us. And so it may seem like too long to wait 10 years or 15 years or even 30 years. But you're letting go of that right to say, I need it now, God. And you're saying, God, they're in your hands. But your guarantee, your promise to God and from God is that you'll spend eternity celebrating with them because they have someone who is prayed for them. They can stop you from talking to them. They can stop you from witnessing and teaching them about Christ. They can avoid you. They can run from you. But they cannot stop you from loving them and they cannot stop you from praying for them. And when we pray for them, we're praying for the Lord to send laborers into the harvest. That means that He may not send you into the harvest. He may not send you into their life. He may try to send you away from their life so that He can send others into their life. And I've seen that happen many, many times. I remember one of the the things that we would pray for all the time, that every Sunday when the pastor would say, okay, I want you to, to say the names of your loved ones. And I always pray for my grandmother. We called her Nanny Robudu. Now, my dad, my birth dad was Frank Robidoux. He was my dad that I was born to. My original last name was Robodu Alan Robidoux. And he passed away when I was four. And since then, you know, my stepdad, who's my dad, is Ken Taylor. And that's why I go by Alan Taylor. But for the first four years of my life, my dad was Frank Robidoux. And his mom, my grandma, we called her Nanny Robodu. And Nanny Robidoux was known to be just a, a tough French, older French lady. And uh, my mom tells stories. Now, my only experience with Nanny Robidoux was that she loved me and that she was kind to me. But my mom's experience and other people's experience was she's a pretty tough, tough lady. My mom said that uh, my dad divorced his wife to marry my mom and Nanny Robidoux didn't like it. And so, when my mom went to visit the family with my dad, Nanny Robidoux played a videotape of my dad's first wedding with his first wife, just to get to my mom, just to be mean. (laughs) And so, when my dad passed away, Nanny Robidoux was distant from us and from my mom. And so, I hadn't seen her for many years, for like five years and I had been praying for her well it ended up that I got to travel up to Canada because I was living in the United States at that time and go preach and I was going to go preach in her town which is was Grand Prairie way up north in in Alberta Canada I was going to Fort St John British Columbia where I was raised in Grand Prairie Alberta where I was raised and Valley View where I was raised and all those beautiful places up there. And I was going to travel through and preach Easter Sunday. And I got to preach Easter Sunday in Grand Prairie. And so I contacted Nanny Robadouhad who I hadn't seen in five years. And we talked, and and I was able to spend Saturday with her. And then Sunday, she, I invited her to come hear me preach. And she couldn't say no, because I'm her grandson, of course. Well, I'd found out later that many people that were around the family tried to get Nanny Robidoo saved, and they couldn't do it. She was just too tough. And I got to see her, and here she was, 80-some years old. And in the five years I hadn't seen her, she had suffered, I believe, three or four major heart attacks and survived them all. Well, in those five years, I had been praying for her and just saying her name. I had nothing elaborate, not hours of prayer or deep intercession, just every Sunday she was one of the names on my list that I would lift up to God and and ask Him to send laborers into the harvest and to rescue her. And she had resisted many different preachers and many different attempts to get her born again. And so I went to see her on Saturday. I hadn't seen her in five years. The first thing, thing she said to me was, you look just like your dad. Now, this is, oh gosh, 20 years after my dad passed away, maybe. And she said, you look just like your dad. And then she told me something amazing. She said, you know, your dad wanted to be a priest when he was young. And I didn't let him. And I always felt guilty that because I did not allow him to, to go into the priesthood, that uh, that's part of the reason why he died. And I was really amazed at God's gracious and love for her. Because even though she had a reputation for being tough, never to me, but to to others, I found in her that she loved her kids. And here I was standing in front of my grandma, Nanny Robidoux, who felt guilty for years that her son died because she refused to let him go into the priesthood when he was young. And here I was... 20 some years later or I mean more after his death and here I am I look like my dad and I'm in the ministry and I thought wow God is healing her of brokenness and so we spent that day Saturday and we talked and we drank coffee we went to the mall and just had fun in those five years she had three or four major heart attacks survived them all And I said, Nanny, you come hear me preach tomorrow? She said, yeah. So she came to hear me preach that Sunday morning. It was Easter Sunday morning, I remember that. And I talked about salvation, of course, and the blood, and and the price that Jesus paid. And uh, we had devils cast out, and people healed. and, And the whole time, Nanny sat there on the second row and didn't budge. I gave the altar call. She didn't budge. She did not come up for salvation. So right at the end of the service, I just knelt down. And I said, Nanny, I said, are you willing and ready to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And she said, yep. And that was it. And I led her to the Lord. And it wasn't but three weeks later, I got a call that Nanny Robidoux passed away in her sleep. Three weeks later. And here she was, Nanny Robidoux, a tough old French lady. Hard as can be in one split second, she survived four three or four major heart attacks, survived all of them in one split second, right before three weeks before eternity, she accepted Jesus. Can you imagine the celebration in heaven and how big of a hug i'm going to get when I get there? And not just me we had many i'm sure family members praying for her as well but but God was able to crack that hard nut and make a way for her to find Christ even at the last moment. And I can tell you stories of people who prayed for loved ones who passed away and they said, "Wow, well, they passed away but they didn't know Christ. But they find out later from someone else that they had an experience where they found Christ. They just didn't hear about it. We make it so traditional sometimes that you have to go to a church and go to an altar to accept Jesus where really, at the last moment, you can have a conversation with God and on your last breath. And who's who's thinking about eternity more than, than, than someone who's about to take their last breath? So I tell people all the time, why would you even think, if you're praying for someone to be born again and they pass away, why would you even think that they're not born again? Well, they didn't give a public testimony. Or, well, not to you. But you have to put some... Let me encourage you to put some faith in your prayer. And you can look at your loved ones, whoever they are, friends or family, and you can say, you can run and you can hide, you can get tough, you can lie, you can cheat and call to God, all kinds of names. And you can go your whole life, but I'm going to tell you one thing. You are not going to die and go to hell. I won't allow it. I will not let it happen. I'm going to go to war... So that never happens. And the place I'm going to war is not to you. I'm not trying to move you. I'm going to go to prayer. And all I'm going to do is give God authority, and you are in trouble. You'll not have a, you won't have a happy day for the rest of your life until you accept Jesus. So you might as well give up. Listen, if you're not saved and you got a mama praying for you, <laughs> Lord have mercy. you got a good old praying mama praying for you to be saved? and you're not saved, you might as well just give up now so you can have a great life. Otherwise, otherwise you will have a miserable life. You'll never find happiness. You'll never find success. You'll always be miserable until you accept Jesus. You might as well give up right now. That's our attitude towards our loved ones. Is, hey, I'm not here to fight you. I'm not here to make you live right or to serve God. I'm here to love you. And you don't know this, but I'm praying for you. And because I'm praying for you, you are in trouble. But I'll tell you this, you're not going to die and go to hell. If you die, you're going to heaven. I know it because that's the power of prayer. That's the power of faith. That God is smart. God is smart. He's smarter than the devil. The devil, When he thinks of something, God already knew he was going to think of that 20 billion years ago. The devil's not God. He's a created being. God is smart, and he knows how to get your loved ones to the place where they're born again. So don't ever be discouraged, especially when praying for children. When I was a youth pastor, I had so many parents who who would fight to get their kids to serve God. And we all want our kids to serve God. And, and, you know, one old preacher, we were sitting in a service, and... The young preacher was preaching about raising kids in church. He was teaching us all how to train our kids right and teach our kids right. It was all good stuff. And the old preacher began to jab me in the ribs. And he said, yep, they always preach about raising kids until their kids become teenagers. (laughs) And then they don't preach about it anymore. And he was just talking about how when kids become teenagers, their hormones kick in and they begin to question things and grow up and become independent. I'd watch one parent that they would walk in and see their young kid in service that wasn't worshiping God with their hands up, and they'd yank their hand up and say, You need to worship God. And they'd try to force things onto their kids. And we all want standards, of course, but later on I saw some of those kids turn against their parents. And and I've discovered when we start serving God, that maybe your loved one, your family in your marriage, in your kids, or your parents, or whoever. Whoever it might be may not agree with the walk that you're on or be in unity with you. And you need to trust in prayer and not try to make it happen yourself. If you were like me, the reason I was making it happen was because I was fearful that my family was going to die and go to hell. And so I would harass them trying to get them to make a commitment so I could see it. But when God sent me down and said, you don't trust prayer, He taught me how to trust in the power of prayer and to stand in the name of God, in the power of prayer, for their salvation. And that freed me to love them while they went through life and made sometimes silly decisions. And many parents who are praying for their children, so hard because you get a glimpse of hope and then you'll see them make a hard decision. Many times when people start praying, things seem to get worse. But when you know the end, the end is we're going to spend eternity together. You don't have a choice. I don't care how you live in this life. You're going to get saved one day. When you know that's the end, when you remove that fear of them not saying a prayer in front of you, when you say, God, I I know the power of prayer, that no matter how tough they may seem, they can't resist you that you're going to win them over. So I'm going to lend my authority to you, God. And when you understand the power of prayer and how smart God really is and how dumb your loved one really is and how dumb the devil really is, you understand that they don't have a chance. All God needs is our authority. Do you know that God will take someone from a, a whole different country and put them next door to the one you're praying for? Maybe the loved one loves a sport, and once you know that it's someone who loves the sport just like them and someone they can receive from, God can do amazing things. Amazing things. Have a whole family move next door to your loved ones. Take a job maybe in your loved one's place. Uh, just to begin to work on nudging them towards a place where their heart will be open to salvation. He's smarter than you, He's smarter than me release your loved ones into his hands. Let go of them and say, God, I'm not capable or smart enough or good enough to even be an example. Let me add this to it. Because we're talking about loved ones and people who know us, we can kind of feel like I've ruined them. You know, God, my family knows my weaknesses. And back then I was horrible. I claimed to be Christ, a Christian Christian. Maybe you had that experience where you weren't living right and you were a Christian and you think, man, I've ruined my kids. My kids said they don't even want God because of the example I was. Maybe you were too hard on people or or maybe your family thinks you're a joke. I don't know, but I will tell you this, none of that matters. None of that matters. You could be the one who ruined their taste of the gospel. None of that matters because if you're the one praying for them, all God needs is your authority. He doesn't need your perfection. Yes, our best preaching is if we live right and live in love and holiness, then that's an example of truth to the people, that we're not we're living what we preach. But irregardless, your authority, no matter what your past is, is what God needs. And if you're lifting up the names of your family members, then you're lending God the authority that He needs. And I'm going to read this again. In Matthew chapter 9, Then he said to his disciples, verse 37, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The guidance here is not to go out and lead everyone to the Lord. There's so much people just trying to spit out, Jesus loves you. And saying, hey, you need to accept Jesus. And there's times for that. And I think there's people called to that specifically. But there's times for that. But listen, a great soul winner doesn't just spit out the same thing. They know how to share what can be received. And so you don't have to be the great soul winner of your family and your loved ones. You have to be the one who gives God the authority and prays for them. And in praying for them you are asking Him to send laborers. Now, you might be that laborer, like I was for Nanny Robidoux. I was the laborer that God sent into her life. But I can't tell you, there's probably a thousand situations leading up to that one moment that God arranged to nudge her heart to receive, including the weekend where I got to spend time with her and lead her to the Lord and to celebrate her in heaven. It was the prayer, not my preaching that got her to be saved. It was the prayer and lending of authority that got her to that her heart to that place. Not just me, it was the prayer. God did it. And He'll do it for your loved ones too. And you might be the one who preaches to them and leads them to the Lord. You may never hear it. They may just come to church and get saved and say, Man, that preacher was great. And you say, What are you talking about? I've been preaching that to you a hundred times Why are you giving them glory? That happens all the time when I travel and preach at churches. People go to the pastor and say, Oh, that Brother Allen, that preacher, Pastor Allen, he preached such a a great message this Sunday. Wasn't that a great pastor? And the pastor says, You know, Allen, I've been preaching the same... Whatever you preached, you won't believe I've been preaching the same thing for four weeks. And no one told me I preached a good message. But you preach it once and they think it's glory cloud. And it's... Like That's how God works, is the guy who does all the work he usually doesn't get any of the credit. And God gets all the glory anyway. So as we pray for your loved ones, I'm going to just make it simple, because this is what I want you to learn to do. You don't have to go into deep intercession. God can take you there. You don't have to go there. You are not trying to talk God. We saw in John how the heart of Christ was to see the field uh, harvested that we're not trying to talk God into seeing your family or your loved ones saved. The reason we're praying is not trying to convince God to do something. We're not trying to talk God into do something. You know, Sometimes we pray and we tell God the whole story. God, my aunt so-and-so, she's been married four times, she drinks, she does this, and we try to rat them out to God and tell God all the details as if he doesn't know. And we make it such a chore to pray that we get tired of praying. When really, it's a simple, simple prayer that we can do. It's a simple, simple thing, and that is to simply lift up their name to heaven. And the moment we say their name, God links that name to them from your authority and goes and rescues them. Remember the story of the soldier who prayed for his servant And God went and healed his servant that very hour. Jesus said the word, and the word went forward, and that his servant was healed that very hour. Well, that servant was healed that very hour, but not the servant next door, because God uses authority to work. He needs our authority to do the things that he knows to do. So remember, before we pray, remember, God's smarter than you are. He's smarter than your loved ones. He's smarter than the devil. God already knows how to get them from where they are to where they're born again. And our prayer is releasing them from our hands, from our obligation to see them saved, and placing them into God's hands with this knowledge and trust that no matter what it takes, God, I place them into your hands to see them saved, that they will not die and go to hell. That no matter what it takes, if it's on their last breath, they're going to get saved. If it's now and they have a great life serving God, that's the best. But God's willing to work and needs to work through their free will. So it's not as simple as knocking them in the head and dragging them to church and saying, get saved now or else. It is a negotiation. It is a work that has to happen that God knows how to do and He'll get them there. Your job and my job is to love them and to pray for them and the trust that prayer is really working in their life. Even when it looks bad, and it seems like it's getting worse, it's not. It's working. God is working. So, we're going to pray. Just pray this with me, and and I'll give you a moment to say their name out loud. And when you say their name out loud, do it with the trust that as I say their name, they are going to be touched by God that very moment, that God is using that authority to begin to put in place all manner of things that he's been working on to get them to the place where they'll humble themselves one day and accept Jesus. And will trust that they will not die and go to hell, that it cannot happen, that they will get to heaven. Whenever that is, that's between them and God. So let's pray. And just pray this with me. Father, we place our loved ones into your hands. It's no longer my burden or our burden to see them saved. We place that into your hands. We take our authority right now that we hold in their life and in our family, and we take our authority that we hold on earth. And we pray, Father, for them to be saved. And we pray that you will send the laborers into their life. We pray that whatever needs to happen, Father, will happen in their life, that they will be saved. We pray with confidence that You're amazing. We pray with confidence that You are able. We pray in confidence and do not fear. We will not let ourselves fear for one moment. We know that our loved ones will be in heaven with us. In Jesus' name. So, Father, I lift up, and now's where you'll say their name. I lift up and say their name out loud. You may have a long list, so I'm giving you a few moments. Say all their names. And, Father, as I lift them up, I thank you that right now, this moment, angels are working around them, the Holy Ghost is working in them, the anointing of God is surrounding them, and you're beginning to work on their life. Right now, this instant, because I lent my authority to you, you are doing amazing things right now. And Father, I give you glory for it, I give you praise, and I thank you for loving them and loving me So much. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now if the devil comes, which he will, and tries to tell you it didn't work, it's not working, tell him to shut up. He's a liar. He doesn't know anything. He'll try to discourage you. You continue. Even if it's just every week or every day, every time they come to your heart, just say their name and say, Father, they're yours. And I thank you for touching them now. God is using your authority to rescue them. And they will be in heaven with you. Thank you for spending time with me. God bless you.